morning, everybody. Happy fall out of the shower and rip your toenail off. It's Monday day because that's what happened to me. And welcome to the news agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's online political editor, Dan Bloom. Morning, Dan. How are your toenails? Uh, mine are intact, but I'm in my shed. <laughs> and if I have any problems, I can use that to uh, rip them off with great force. So, um, yeah. What absolute joys. Uh, now, this is the People's Poke Review, everybody. So get into the comments. Ask us your questions. Those of you listening later on podcast are just going to have to write to the Backbench 1922 committee and express your disgust. So what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on news. that The man who threw acid into Strictly star Katie Piper's face has gone on the run from police while on parole. And if you know where this maniac is, dob him in, because if anyone deserves to be in clink, it's people who throw acid around. Hopefully he'll be back in jail tomorrow. Uh, other people who we might see more of tomorrow and been on the lam recently include the nation's MPs, who will be back in the House of Commons as of Tuesday, where they can start to plot in earnest against the new Prime Minister. Now, Dan, it's being reported that she's engaging in a charm offensive by hosting lots of meetings with MPs. Uh, but on Wednesday, she's got to address that 1922 committee, apparently, which has already had letters of no confidence in her about 30 odd days in. Um, now, is it true that even her own cabinet ministers are against her at this point? Uh, I don't know about trying to bring her down, but they're certainly against her kind of idea of cutting benefits in real terms, which is, you know, after the U-turn over the 45p tax rate last week, this is the thing that's really winding people up. Because um, she, you know, Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak had always promised to raise benefits by inflation after, don't forget, only raising them by 3% this year, which was way below inflation because it's got a six-month lag to it. So next year, they were finally going to catch up. They were going to raise by about 10%, a sort of belated help for people. Liz Trust suddenly thought, actually, that's not fair because people's wages aren't going up by that much in, in other industries. Now, the problem with this is that... Right. In which case, they do tend to go up a bit. Yeah, and if you're on if you're on wages, you generally uh, can afford to put hand to mouth. Whereas um, there is a problem here with people on the benefit system, kind of having to go to food banks and that kind of thing. It's a generalisation, but it's an overall problem, and that's what's made so many Tories annoyed. We had um, two cabinet ministers, Penny Morden and Robert Buckland, last week, essentially just going out and saying in public. Uh, if we do this, we're going to have to do it by inflation, even though there's no decision made. Uh, you've got the Work and Pension Secretary kind of at a fringe last week at the conference, very kind of hesitant to talk about it. And meanwhile, you've got almost like an army of backbenchers all just saying, uh, you've got to do this by inflation. And the latest is Sajid Javid, who is hard, you know, he's a, he's a pretty uh, solid Tory former Chancellor. He's not the sort of Tory wet who has built a career on the sort of soft conservatism. He, you know, we've got a whole spectrum of people here. Esther McVeigh. Esther McVeigh said you have to raise uh, benefits. By Esther the McVeigh? So you get the idea here, don't you? Yes. So they're, they're, they're very cross about it. Now, Liz has got some wriggle room there, hasn't she, though? Because she has said that it's not definite. It's just something that they were, you know, rolling the pitch. They threw it out there. Perhaps we'll only do this with benefits this year. We'll raise it by wages and not inflation. So she hasn't really committed publicly, which gives perhaps some of her MPs the opportunity, therefore, to complain about it and gives her some wriggle room. She wants to turn around and say, oh, no, it'll be by inflation. That's exactly it. When she U-turns, and I think it's pretty good to guess that there probably will be a U-turn, they'll be able to say it's not a U-turn. 
because um, they never actually made the decision in the first place. Right. <laughs> so okay. that I mean, it feels like it's going to be a U-turn, uh, but they just say it. We'll say it isn't one because they've never actually gone on the road to U-turn from. They just said that they were probably going to go on it. Right. So they've just they've worked out, as with the 45p tax rate, that the numbers aren't there to get this legislation through and therefore they can't really go ahead with it. Now, well, tell us what you think. Really get into the comments, ask us your questions. Um, are you on benefits? Do you think they should go up? Do you think they should go up by wages or inflation? Does it make a big difference to you? Um, it's still going to be a pitiful amount, even if it's by the bigger measure, one would have thought. Um, and some of the other issues that they've got in the budget are still going to affect people, aren't they, Dan? And there's still going to be things which this isn't going to be the last sort of Tory rebellion. There's going to be so many measures in that mini budget that need passing that they're going to they're going to be really sticking on everything, aren't they? I think the issue is that the two um, problems that have sparked a revolt, so the 45p tax cut for the very richest and the sort of benefits cut, which is actually, isn't actually part of the budget. It's not to do with the budget. It's separate to that. Um, aren't really that much to do with the thrust of what the kind of economic problem with the budget is. And that's that it's borrowing about 70, billions of, 70 billion pounds in one year alone, largely to fund tax cuts. A lot of those tax cuts go to the rich. Um, obviously, the worst one, if you like, to the rich was that 45p, which they've now scrapped. But that was only costing £2 billion a year. So actually, if, if you take all of what they're doing, most of it is still there. The corporation tax um, cut or cancelling a rise, I should say, uh, national insurance, um, a hugely expensive one, and, and ditto a penny off income tax uh, for everyone. Now, obviously, that does help everyone who earns over sort of twelve thousand pounds. But the more you earn, the more it helps you because that is how income tax works. So um, there's still going to be a lot of concern. The pro problem is that it's the entire package that is the concern. And if you vote down a budget, it's a vote of confidence, uh, and you bring down your own government. And at the moment, if you're a Tory MP and you do that, you lose your own seat potentially. So there's a huge incentive not to do that. So. That could be a reason why people are kind of finding the most egregious stuff in their view to coalesce around and form some opposition around and try and get rid of that, but allow the actual whole package to go through. And Labour's not in an ideal situation on this either, because Labour is saying, you know, this is a kamikaze budget and, and we should reverse it. And But they are also making clear that a couple of the big ticket things, like the penny off income tax, uh, they would keep as well. So, um, you know, Labour is, is certainly not, would not go anywhere near as far as the Tories would. They wouldn't have these tax cuts for the rich. They wouldn't get rid of the capital backers bonuses or slash corporation tax for all the rest of it. But some of these measures that are quite expensive, uh, they would keep in there too. Mm, so we need to talk though about the, the Conservative infighting, I think. Get into the comments, everybody. What do you think about the fact that the Tories are fighting like this? Do you think that they should be rowing in behind a new Prime Minister and give her a chance? She's only been in the job five minutes. Or do you think she's so disastrous to protect themselves and protect the party, they need to get rid of her? Um, because, you know, Dan, they've been fighting like cats in a sack for, what, eight years now? Six years? I can't remember. When was Brexit? Uh, 2016. So six years. Um and they don't really seem to know how to do anything else. A lot of the people who are in government and have been in government up to now, they kind of they're there because they were fighting each other so much and knifing one another, and that's how they got their jobs. I mean, you pointed out, I think it was on Twitter, that Jacob Rees-Mogg 
who only four years ago called a press conference to announce he was sending in a, a letter of no confidence against Theresa May, yesterday was walking around telling people they needed to unify behind the Prime Minister, otherwise they'd face losing out. They don't know how to do anything else, do they, except fight? Well, I think they've tried to, every time they've tried to pull away, they've ended up back in a fight again. So I think in fairness to Liz Truss, which is, you know, not something you'll always hear at the mirror, but uh, she hasn't sort of gone into this with the ideology of I am going to fight my own MPs, which is, for example, what um, Boris Johnson did over Brexit, because uh, in, uh, in the sort of when he'd just become prime minister, he suspended the whip from more than 20 MPs who were critical of him, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Liz Truss has gone into this with the ideology of everything that my party and the parties before it have been doing for years is wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost not personal. Uh, <laughs> she has, yeah, she has. Um, so it's, it's almost sort of, it's not personal. It's the entire ideology is wrong, in her view, that we need to go for growth and all this sort of thing, and we need to be more sort of daring and have this trickle-down economics, although she doesn't call it that, but that is what it seems to be, uh, and, and go from there. <laughs> and we've got to this position where, of course, there are people in her party who are very upset about that and who think that's going to you know, drive the economy off a cliff or uh, do wrong by the poorest people in our society, and they are putting up a fight about that. So it has turned into a personal thing, and you've now got the problem for her where... Last week, we had a briefing with her press secretary where he kind of hinted that um, this was straight after a conference speech, sort of hinted that they're going to lay down the law a little bit, the whips when we get back. You know, the, um, collective responsibility in the cabinet still exists. People have to toe the line, that sort of thing. Didn't rule out retrospective action, all the rest of it. Now you've got uh, some front pages today that are suggesting she's... Uh, almost going the other way, and she's opening up conversations. She'll be appearing at the 1922 Committee of MPs on Wednesday, uh, and she's trying to kind of offer an olive branch to her MPs, perhaps because she's realised that it does only take about 40 to vote with Labour to, um, to defeat her government on something, which usually is unthought of, but she's sort of breaking the model so much of, what, of how far you would usually push things that actually it's, it's become a possibility. Changing her mind... A lot, isn't she? She's really capable of going full throttle in one direction and then full throttle in the other, from being a teenage Republican to speaking at the Queen's funeral to being in government for 10 years, being part of all this, to saying everything there was wrong. And now from saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order all my MPs to toe the line or else they're booted out, then saying, actually, go come round for a cup of tea. Let's have a nice chat. Um, she's very unpredictable, isn't she? A little bit, yeah. She's kind of predictable in the sense that with the um, ideology on the economy, you know, she was writing these pamphlets, uh, this pamphlet that's quite infamous 10 years ago, saying, you know, Brits are among the worst idlers in the world and all the rest of it. Um, uh, and uh, you've got to the point now um, where she's putting into effect a lot of the things that as a more junior minister or junior cabinet minister, she wasn't able to get a look in on. And she was quite clear about that in the leadership campaign. So that's all quite uh, predictable. But you've now got the problem um, where she's kind of, first of all, it's unpredictable because she's meeting opposition and she's having to go back quite erratically on things like the 45p. And also there's the unpredictability of sort of how far does she want to go? So she's probably been pulled in a little bit by her MPs and reined in 
Um, but there was this sense straight after the mini budget where Quasi Quarteng was saying, this is just the beginning. We're going to go further. Um, and they do still have supply side reforms, as they call it, kind of coming down the track in the next few weeks. So that is another element of unpredictability about it, even if she has been quite clear about what she wants to do, at least in the last few months since she ran for leader. Can you help me out with something, Dan? Um, because I haven't bothered to Google it, and I'm sure that some of our viewers have got the exact same problem as me, which is we keep hearing the phrase supply-side reforms, and we don't know what the hell it means. What is it? <laughs> Put me on the spot here, haven't you? Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not an expert on economic theory, but it is effectively, um, and I'm going to be crucified for, for getting this so kind of imperfect, but it is kind of, some people see it as another way of putting trickle-down economics, where it's, it's a way of kind of opening up growth, opening up business and that sort of thing to drive forward the economy. Uh, to provide more supply <laughs> into right. the economy to boost growth. Um, but they it's a whole spectrum of things. It's a whole kind of... Um, uh, uh, An ideology. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it takes in a whole manner of things, basically. And um, there's a reason they use that phrase, because it's, it's reasonably hard to pin down in layman's terms, because it could mean slightly different things depending on who you ask, which is why I'm squirming and struggling here. Uh, and I hope you don't clip it up. <laughs> Social media, there you go, Daniel. Stuff, mate. Um, yeah. so basically, it's it's the way of saying we're going to make lots of reforms to various different bits of our economy to create some more growth, and we're going to say it in such a way that it makes us sound like we're really clever. But actually, we no, no, no one knows what it means. It's like it's like offside. No one's really clear. Well, I actually looked it up um, in great detail during the Tory leadership campaign, and that feels like so long ago now that uh, I've struggled to give you a, a neat definition. So, straight out of your head. That's absolutely fine. Fair enough. Thank you, Dan. Um, now, although she's not that popular in the party, it would seem. Um, although she's not that popular in the country either. But the reason for all this backstabbing is because she's she's not popular in the country. This catastrophic poll rating which has put Labour 30 points ahead on course for a landslide if there is a general election tomorrow. Um, and big-name Tories like George Osborne are warning that is exactly what's going to happen. Now, there might not be a general election until 2024 under the Fixed Terms Parliaments Act, but there's been lots of talk about whether they can might try and force one a bit earlier just to, you know, for those who are at threat of losing their seat, they may be less likely to lose their seat if they do it now. If they, if they wait two years, she's really destroyed them. And they, they, they think about whether you lop the leg off early or lop the leg off after, you know, the cancer has spread. Dan, are you, I know you're not back at Parliament yet until tomorrow, but are you getting any sense that she's actually going to make it past Christmas? Because it doesn't feel like there's a lot of life in this, does it? Well, I think the crucial thing um, is summed up in a quote that I got from a, a, one of the many angry Tory backbenchers, which was, um, she's crackers, but it would be crackers to get rid of another one so quickly. Um, and that is the dilemma that they have, is at some point, the Conservatives who are unhappy with her have to take a bet on whether it's more damaging to have another leadership contest after a few months. I mean, you know, we've not been in that sort of territory for such a long time. And there would essentially, a lot of people would see that as them being a laughing stock uh, because they so decidedly ch chose Liz Truss just a very short while ago. And if you go by the membership, do you have the same issues come up again? You know, or um, 
is it more embarrassing to stick with someone who is kind of going with policies that she says will be good for the economy but unpopular, uh, but will take a little while to bear fruit? Uh, bear fruit. So she's the whole government can now be judged on whether she achieves growth because she said that we achieved growth. Fortunately, we have a budget watchdog uh, that measures growth, but it's not necessarily been particularly favourable to her. It's, you know, it's independent and so forth. And you'll get to a position where 2024 is not very long away now. And it might be quite hard to either see growth or to measure that the growth has come because of her policies. So you could end up in a situation where she's sort of bet the house on achieving growth and it hasn't been visible by the time of the election. And I just want to um, correct, the Fixed Term Parliaments Act doesn't exist anymore. They repealed it. So she can't actually call it an, an election at any time. Um, until January 2025 is the very, very latest, I think, that, that she can legally call one. Uh, but the problem is, obviously, as you said, that they are 20, 30 points behind in the polls, depending on who you listen to, and that is enough. As the pollster John Curtis put it at conference, that would be enough for a three-figure Tory major- uh, Labour majority. Uh, so, I mean, it, you would, you know, you'd have to essentially have a death wish as a PM to call an election uh, when the polls are that low or just incredibly high self-confidence in your own ability to win the electorate round. She doesn't appear to lack self-confidence, so maybe that maybe that would be a way to go go for it, Liz. Well, um, we, had, we had a minister yesterday on the telly say it's 24 months uh, to the next election. So I, I think we might have been a straw in the wind there, but, uh, you know, look at autumn 2024. I don't know. Mm. Now, Mike says, if Grant Shapps takes over as Prime Minister with the votes of Tory MPs, how few votes do they need to elect someone to take charge of the whole country for them? Uh, I'm not. There is talk about Grant Shapps, or he's talking about himself, I think, as some kind of unity candidate, but it's not really a go, is it, Dan? Um, if there was a replacement for Liz, they're talking about getting Rishi or Boris parachuted back in. I don't think either of them really want the job, do they? Because we've got, like you said... We've got the next two years, you've got probably a global recession, not just in this country, which you can't do much to fix. You've got public services that are definitely going to have cuts because their budgets were all set before inflation and the cost of living increase, which means now they don't have enough money to do just what they were going to do, never mind what's needed next. Um, And you've got all these, uh, like you say, all these reforms and things they want to do, which aren't going to show any kind of uh, improvement really in the next 24 months who would want who would want the job mike thinks it's grant shaps what what would you say dan uh, it's, it's that one's really difficult i mean um the idea of boris johnson come back coming back there's this rumor that because he's at risk of losing his seat he could take nadine doris's seat if she still manages to get to the lords uh, and our political editor has a story today saying that that could be scuppered but, um, but let's see about that um, and how it goes down. Uh, Boris Johnson, you'd think, would think, why the hell do I want to come back, but maybe have as kind of element of, well, I told you so. Um, mm-hmm. And perhaps you could say the same for Rishi Sunak. You know, he, he spent the whole summer saying that Liz Truss's economic policies would be a disaster. So there would be an element to which he could sail in and say, hey, I was right. Um, Grant Shapps kind of, was never really much of a goer as a Tory leadership candidate. Um, I think perhaps uh, his position is more born out of being, now that he's on the backbenchers and he was kind of around a conference and stuff, being one of the chief 
uh, critics of of the government and kind of he's been uh, supposedly got a spreadsheet where he's been counting conversations with anti-Liz MPs. And then you've got Penny Mordaunt, of course, who was, you know, five MPs had voted for Penny Mordaunt instead of Liz Truss in the parliamentary stage. We would not have Liz Truss as prime minister because she wouldn't have made the final two and the runoff. And Lord knows we might have Penny Mordaunt as prime minister because she was riding fairly high before. So she is in an interesting position because she is obviously a cabinet minister and she's inside the tent. Um, and yet you've got kind of briefings to the Sunday papers saying she's on manoeuvres and that kind of thing. Uh, so beyond that, very difficult to say because the party is so fractured and because if you put forward an obvious kind of one nation candidate, then they would have the whole Tory right against them. And if you put forward a Tory right candidate, well, that's what's happened. You know, she hasn't just got the kind of one nation Tories against her. She's got some in her own camp in her own natural kind of ideology saying, hang on a minute, this is going too far. This is very unpopular. So uh, <laughs> there's a long way of saying there are obvious leading lights there, but I don't really know. And I don't think anyone, you know, Liz Truss was always tipped as someone who could have taken the leadership for a couple of years before the contest. But I don't think that many people were actually placing bets on her being prime minister. So who knows? Yeah, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Now, um, moving on to another story next, but keep asking your questions. What do you think about uh, the Tory infighting and Liz's chance of a general election? Do you think we're going to have one sooner rather than later? I'm rather hoping some of the Conservatives will consider their their best survival prospects would be to bring the government down. Um, but speaking of money that doesn't go very far, Labour has uncovered the fact that the Tories have written off, wait for this, £4 billion. That's double the 45p tax cut value of it's going to be that was two billion this is four billion in botched public spending uh, which is worth about 146 pounds per household on things like for example they binned 8.6 million pounds worth of burgundy passports when it bought the blue ones in now dan why why didn't they just finish off the burgundy ones first it's like throwing the whole half a pack of biscuits in the bin because you've bought some hobnobs. Just finish the finish the stuff you've got before you move on. Surely. Um, I don't know the inside track of that one, but I suspect it might be something to do with the fact that it was a commercial contract. So they kind of started from a certain date printing the blue ones, and they fixed that date in advance. I think as well. So maybe there's something here. I guess what I'm trying to say is that. Um, there is, in when you run the country, there is always going to be some money lost down the back of the sofa or lost in the pipework. I think the problem for the government now is, A, this is obviously a lot of money, £4 billion, and B, it's a government that is saying it's going to crack down on waste and trim the fat and that kind of thing. So suddenly it becomes a story, it returns from a story of, well, you know, during Rishi Sunak's days, there was a, and this sort of dates back to then, in fact, there was a lot of money lost um, in kind of COVID schemes, for example, that were deliberately generous and far-reaching in order to make sure that people didn't fall through the cracks. Because of that, you ended up with problems with uh, COVID loans to businesses, which were open to fraud and that kind of thing. And, um, and also people who didn't mon need money sort of getting money. So uh, that is always going to happen. But now you've got a government that's saying we're going to crack down on waste. And you sort of say, well, you know, 
what about that? Well, uh, instead of trimming civil service jobs and all that sort of thing, can't you uh, get the most basic stuff, which this seems to be kind of in order? Yeah, I suspect they would have sinned something like eight and a half million as absolute chicken feed, uh, to quote a former prime minister of this parish, and not been too bothered about it. But when all these preferred the political win of saying blue passports, everyone, but when you add up all the little things they thought weren't important, it turns into four billion pounds, which is a like you say, it is a lot of money and it's politically very damaging. When you want to start cutting money off benefits and you go, Well, there's four billion. You wasted four billion. Why should why why are you taking, you know, two quid off someone who's having to use a food bank when there's four billion that you've spaffed up the wall, you idiots. The £20 a week on universal credit that they gave during COVID, I think the cost of that was about £6 billion for a year. So um, comparable numbers. £4 billion is a lot of money. Now, uh, get into the comments, everybody. Ask us your questions. What do you think about uh, the wasting of money? Do you think, as Dan suggested there, that it's a normal part of running a government? Do you think this has just totted up too much? Would you rather have kept the Burgundy passports for a bit? Who knows? John says, how will the new boundary changes affect things? I suppose this is talking about the constituency parliamentary boundary changes if there's a new general election, Dan, because um, there has been talk about how that's going to make things more difficult for Labour to win in some places. God, first supply side economics and then the Boundary Commission. This is really... Uh, <laughs> well should done, be, John. should be in my element here. Thanks, John. Um... I uh, have to admit, I have to go back and catch up in exactly when the dates for the boundary changes were. I think when I last looked it up, um, there were some, the boundary changes were due to come in before the next election in 24. And I think every time they've been proposed, they do slightly favour the Tories, just because of kind of historical uh, things. And, and some seats getting bigger and some getting smaller over time. And the whole point of the boundary review is you're making all the seats equal size. Um, but I would have to check that because the problem with the boundary review is you have to check every time because time and time and time again, it's been ditched kind of either for practical reasons, political reasons, that kind of thing, uh, and has managed not to happen. And we've gone years now since we've had a successful boundary review. Uh, I think from the top of my head, it might be the early 2010s, but, you know, don't quote me on that. It was. Um, there was one, I think, that around the time you, of the COVID. Have you been secretly Googling while I've been... Uh, no, no, I was on. doing something else entirely. But uh, <laughs> I can't really recall it. Yeah, so um, it, that is the issue. I mean, the thing is, though, with the boundary changes, I'm pretty sure it's always been phrased in terms of know, maybe about a dozen seats sort of thing, which when you're talking about the kind of poll swings uh, that we have at the moment, that just leaves the effects of the boundary review in the shade. So I'm not going to say it's not going to have an effect. And if there's a very, very close election, then you could say, oh, well, if we hadn't had the boundary review, it would be different. But um, generally, I think a lot of people see that the boundary commission changes are long overdue. Um, Mm -hmm. The only argument is about exactly how you do them and whether you use in-date data or out-of-date data um, that might leave out some kind of younger voters who, of course, are more likely to vote Labour statistically. 
Yeah, and things obviously have just demographically changed. A lot, a lot of people have left London, for example, in the cities in the last couple of years, moved out to the country, live in a shed there, a bit like Dan. Um, so they may have changed things as well. Uh, now, there are a lot of people in the comments apparently calling for an early general election. Uh, I think the only chance you're going to get of that is because we are dependent upon Liz Truss to call that general election. The only chance you're going to get of her actually doing that, really, is if any pollsters come and ask you your opinion over who should run the country, tell them the Tories and Liz Truss. Because if the polls go up, then she'll call a general election. So let's rig the polls, everybody. If you get a chance to speak to a pollster, tell them you want Liz Truss in, and then maybe that will somehow feed into a national movement to trick her into calling a general election, and then we all... You know, we have what we want in the end and a chance to express our opinion. That would be good. So it's worth a try. Anyway, it's a better plan than some other people have got. Now, uh, thank you very much, everyone, for your comments. Thank you, Dan, for helping us so far. We've got one more story and there is some good news in the world. We've managed to find it for you. Here it is. And just to keep Dan happy, it's economic news. Now, it is still possible to make money from your house, despite mortgage rates, as one couple found when they dug up the concrete floor of their 18th century house in Ellaby, North Yorkshire, for renovation work, and they found a pot of gold coins stashed there between 1610 and 1727. Now, it's just sold at auction for three quarters of a million pounds, which is probably more than the house is worth, with one coin alone so rare it fetched 62 and a half grand. Dan, is this proof, do you think, that trickle-down economics does work so long as you wait three centuries? Uh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because... I'm going to get geeky now. Trickle down, make sure it trips down to more, trickles down to more than one couple in uh, North Yorkshire. But um, no, I do, I do love this story, and um, I do wish. I think we all wish it would happen to us, isn't it? That's why we all read these ones. You know, floorboards and fines. If you look at a concrete floor that needs digging up, you go, God, that's going to be expensive to get that out. I'm not going to do it. But now, perhaps more people might think, do you know what? Yeah. Jackhammer, let's go and see what we can find. Uh, you never know, do you? But I suppose it's... It reminds me of my favourite thing about the British legal system, slash when you do a journalism course, which is that coroners have two jobs. They investigate why people died, and then they also decide if treasure is treasure. It's like my favourite thing. It like dates back hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's my favourite thing about the legal system. So these, these poor coroners spend 95% of the time, you know, dealing with awful cases with... You know, NHS problems, uh, the suicides with kind of failures of the state. And then every now and then you get a couple who are like, oh, I found 700 gram worth of gold. Uh, can I keep it? <laughs> and, a bad dispute in a farmer's field, and the and the metal detectors say, oh, they're having an argument over who has the you know it's treasure trove. Exactly. It's literally known as law of treasure trove, which I think is rather marvelous and it's great. But I suppose what this does show is that I suppose it's it's proof that, like you say, uh, it does trickle down the centuries, but only from one couple to another couple, unless this anonymous couple go out and spend it. And I suppose it's also proof that those who do have money in history they don't go out and spend it they just bank it or they bury it so that's why triple down doesn't really work liz if only you were uh-huh. paying it perhaps they can melt the coins and turn it into some gold leaf for their lovely new house that they can buy with 750 grand but i feel like that would be that would literally be trickle down uh yeah what we've got but i think that would be 
a bit of a waste of the lovely coins. I think an actual gold-plated house would be rubbing your neighbours' noses in it just a little bit as well, possibly the possibly the banks as well. Right, thank you, everybody, for taking part. Thank you, Dan, for answering those questions, not all of which you were aware were coming at you. Um, thank you. I, uh, I found a definition of supply-side economics. If you ah, ah, I was pretty much there, so... Uh... <laughs> Uh, Supply-side economics is a theory that maintains increasing the supply of goods and services is the engine for economic growth, so tax cuts, business growth, and it's the opposite of demand-side economics, which is the theory that if you give people at the bottom uh, of the kind of economic uh, strata more money, they will go out and spend their money and then boost the economy that way. So it's kind of leading the economy from the top rather than leading it from the bottom in economic terms. There you go. Maybe we can edit it and just have a clip before and a clip after and <laughs> push them together. Who knows? But I don't know how supplying things is going to help if no one's got any bloody cash. Thanks, Dan, for explaining that um, so carefully and so thoroughly. Thank you, everyone, for taking part. I think we haven't got one of these on Wednesday because I've got to be somewhere else unless they can find a stand-in Susie. Who knows? They may be able to manage it. Otherwise, we'll see you again next Monday for another edition of the News Agenda. Thanks, everybody. Tatty bye. <laughs>